Hey, it's good to be here with you guys in the room. This is exciting. Uh, to those of you gathering in Grundy Center, good morning. I haven't seen some of you friends of mine for a long time. Uh, for those of you online, I just want to say, hey, welcome, welcome. Uh, we're just delighted you're here. Um, this seems like the perfect time in life to be doing this series called You Will Experience Turbulence. There's a lot of turbulence. Uh, out there in our culture, in our world, in our city, in our families. There's a lot of turbulence. So there will be turbulence. Now, when I think of turbulence, I'm not like some people who think about airplanes. I actually, when I think of turbulence, I think of speedboats. You see, our family grew up, even as a little boy, we had a boat and we were always speedboating, skiing, uh, tubing, uh, torpedoing. Uh, we had speedboats and uh, then as our children grew up, we often speedboated on the Mississippi River, at the Ozarks, um, uh, up, up in uh, Northwest Iowa. We uh, often speedboated and pulled the kids. And as recent as two years ago, we were on Lake of the Ozarks for a whole week uh, skiing. I was even two years ago uh, on the back on a tube and had my son and son-in-laws trying to get me off the boat. It was like hilarious. I was bruised when I was done. Now, here's the thing about water when you're skiing. You either have it like glass smooth and it's so beautiful and you can just fly or sometimes you're in turbulence caused by other boats caused by uh, uh, the wind, by the size of the body, and sometimes that turbulence gets really going. And I've pulled kids skiing and boarding and on torpedoes in some big turbulence uh, many years ago. My son Joel was a kid, and he was behind the boat on a torpedo. And um, actually, I made one mistake. I was the only adult in the boat, all kids. And Joel and his cousin behind, and we're going through some turbulence. And you know, when kids are behind the boat, you know what they're always saying? They're always saying, faster, faster. So I'm edging the throttle up more and more, and they're flying over the turbulence more and more. And then they hit this huge wave. I'm trying not to exaggerate this, but I think 10 feet in the air. And they came down, and there was blood everywhere. Both of the kids had on the plastic pieces that a whole, connect the ropes, uh, had gotten one cut here and one cut here, just blood everywhere. So I got a boat full of kids, I'm turning around, and um, I'm gonna pick these guys up and get the towels out to sop up the blood. And like the kids in the boat are going, oh, you guys are so bloody. I'm going, shut up, shut up. They don't even know it. And then I get them in the boat, and I'm back, and I'm driving into shore, and there are their parents, <laughs> including my wife. And then I had to take them to the ER, and then I had to live through a lecture from the doctor <laughs> about how you should notice the turbulence and slow down the boat. We live in that kind of day, don't we? in our politics, in our pandemic, in our economics? Don't we live in that kind of a day where the waves are just so high? And it's like, how are we gonna get through this? How are we gonna keep going? And many of you right in your families are experiencing this kind of turbulence right now. Economically, you know, health-wise, fears. And then here's what I've figured out about turbulence during the last few weeks. It's out there. And it's in here. Inside of me is some turbulence. 
And in this series, we're asking the important question, how do I walk through this turbulence as a disciple of Jesus? And so on the first week, two weeks ago, Brian asked and answered the question, in turbulence, where do I find hope? And then last week, Jeff said, uh, asked, asked and answered the question, how, how do I uh, endure? How do I find endurance? And next week, Alice is going to do, how do I find courage? And today, the question I want to answer is, what does humility have to do with following Jesus in turbulent times? What does humility have to do with following Jesus in turbulent times? So let's begin with the definition of humility. Uh, this particular definition, which I think is squarely in the Bible, Philippians 2, says this, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Uh, John Dixon, who wrote the book Humilitas, he was a speaker at the Leadership Summit, he gave this definition, which I want us to use this morning. Here it is. Humility is the noble choice to forego your status, deploy your resources, and use your influence for the good of others before yourself. Look at that again. Humility is a choice. Look at what it's not. It's not a feeling. It's not an image we portray. It's not an attitude we have. It's not a way of thinking. It's not a claim we make about ourselves. What is humility? According to the Bible and according uh, to Jesus, what is humility? It's a noble choice. Here's what's crazy. Some of you as parents, moms and dads, already practiced humility this morning. When what you really wanted was to stay in bed, the choice you made was to swing those legs over the bed, climb out, get yourself a cup of coffee, and make breakfast and get the day started for the family. That's humility. Humility is the noble choice to forgo your status. You're the mom, you're the dad, you could have stayed in bed. The house might have been torn apart, but you could have stayed in bed. Deploy your resources and use your influence for the good of others before yourself. Moms and dads, you're doing this. All of us can do this every day at work, in our neighborhoods. First responders, police, firemen. You do this at the beginning of every single shift you have. You set aside your own desires and you get in that squad core or that fire station. Or nurses, doctors, you walk into that hospital and what are you doing? Right here, you're making the noble choice to forgo your own rights and you're lifting up others and serving them. It's so clear. Now, here's what's crazy about Jesus. There's a root word that can mean uh, humility. It can also mean humiliation. And up until the time of Jesus, that root word almost always, 100% of the time, meant hu humiliation. So if I had power... What I did with my power was I humiliated you, which actually means lift myself up, put you down. That's what kings and pharaohs and high priests, they did this all the time. I'm important, therefore you're less important. Right? Humiliation. Jesus came along and he flipped it on its head. This is so important. He changed the world with this one thing. He flipped it on his head. And he said, no, it's not going to be like that anymore. 
Leading is not about humiliating others, lifting myself, putting others down. Jesus redefined it and he said, this is what it's going to be now. If you have power in your home or your business, if you have power in your neighborhood or your marriage, you need to practice humility, which is lifting the other up. I want us to look at three scriptures today that are uh, pretty well-known scriptures that um, really tie us to this. And the first one is from Matthew 28, and uh, we have it on the screen. This is actually called the Great Commission. It's actually the last words of the book of Matthew, and it's Jesus' last recorded words to his disciples before he went to heaven. Here it is. Then Jesus came to them and said, if this is the last paragraph you're going to say to your disciples, where do you start? Notice where he starts. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go. Jesus begins by reminding his disciples that he knows who he is, and they know who he is, and who he is is he's the man in charge. He's the authority in heaven and on earth. And therefore, because you understand that, this is so important with humility. Because you understand who he is and who he is in your life, then you can have the courage to display humility. Therefore, he says to his disciples, therefore you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And now he's, he's giving his disciples their assignment. You go uh, to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them, uh, model for them obedience to the very end of the age, and then I'll be with you. Now, here's what I think it applies to us at Orchard this morning and across our world. I think we have to do the same thing. We have to hear Jesus give us our assignment. And so it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you know, I see Bruce here. Therefore, Bruce, here's your assignment. And you can do it because of the authority that I have. And you understand that. It's powerful. This is powerful. He begins by reminding us of who he is, and then he gives an assignment. All of us have assignments from God. Every follower of Jesus has assignments from God. It's interesting, he gave his, his disciples multiple assignments, and he gives us multiple assignments. So you have an assignment whether you're a lawyer or a realtor. You have an assignment if you're a public school teacher. If you're a policeman, if you're a nurse or a farmer or an at-home mom, you have an assignment from God. If you're a student in middle school, you have an assignment from God. Maybe your assignment is to be friends with the kid who doesn't have any friends. We have an assignment. And in that assignment, we need to have hope and courage. We need to have perseverance. And we need to practice humility. Jesus says, because I have all the power, you go. And you even go when it's turbulent. Humility is not timidity. Humility is not being somebody's doormat. Humility is a strength just like courage. This, this definition we have takes courage, takes strength, takes perseverance. Scripture number two happens 43 days before Jesus gives the good commission, the great commission and goes to heaven. It happens in the upper room on the night before Jesus, the night he's going to be arrested. He's having the Passover meal, which now becomes what we know, the Last Supper. And uh, we have a scripture. Uh, go back one, please. 
Um, Jesus knew, oh, I'm sorry, you were right. (laughs) You know more what I'm doing than I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Therefore, now notice, notice, notice that part. Where does it start? Starts in exactly the same place as the, good commi- as the Great Commission. That's what struck me so much. Here he is, he's going to tell his disciples how to live. And he goes, first of all, you got to get it. God's given me power. God's given me authority. It starts in the same place. And now, so he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And we know what he did. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In this moment and many others in his life, Jesus modeled humility. He he forwent, he foregone his status. Here we have the almighty son of God. The one who lived a perfect life. The one who turned water into wine. The one who calmed the sea. The one who walked out of a grave in a couple days. And what does he do? He puts a towel over his arm. He gets the basin of water, and he washes dirty feet. He forgoes his status. He deploys his resources. He knows how to do it. It takes a towel, and it takes water, and it takes the humility to get on your knees down with the feet. And it takes his influence. Because Peter said, hey, you're not going to do that to me. And remember what Jesus said? If you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then he went on to say, you're not going to understand right now, Peter, what I'm doing, but you're going to understand one day. In the Mennonite church, every time before communion, at least some Mennonite churches I've attended, they go down to the church basement and they wash feet before they take the bread and the wine to remind them of this. Jesus did this over and over again in his life. He did it with the blind beggar. He did it with the ten lepers. He did it with the woman caught in adultery, the Samaritan at the well. He was on an agenda, and he was going somewhere, and he took time to put others' needs before himself. Scripture 3. I've been quoting this scripture for the past weeks um, from Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit... Is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. If we're followers of Jesus, how do we walk through turbulent times? In the fruit of the Spirit, because he's in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Right? In turbulent times, this is so important. So how are we going to live this way? What's our strategy for um, living with humility, making noble choices every day in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our businesses? How are we going to do it? Well, a couple steps here. I just want to throw up number one. One, we're all going to need help, right? We all need help. I'm not up here teaching because I'm so good at it. We all need help. Remember who has the authority. Fix our eyes on Jesus. It's interesting, three weeks in a row, that's been point one. 
That's what Jesus said with the Great Commission. First of all, remember, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. And then before he washed the feet, he said, hey, I and the Father are one. I came from God. So we got to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's step one. Probably step one for all four weeks of this series. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Number two, in this week, ask God to give me a plan for being humble. You don't slip into humility. You don't slide into humility. You don't wake up one day and go, wow, I'm practicing humility really well. It doesn't happen. Human nature and our culture is anti. Our politics are anti. Our attitudes towards the pandemic are anti-humility. You need a plan. And God's the one who can give you the plan. And then here's the third one. Ask God for the power to go in humility. Let's talk politics a minute. I have people I love who are smart, who are wise, who are thoughtful, who love God deeply and are living for him on both sides of the political aisle right now. Let me say that again. Because you won't hear this on CNN, CNN or Fox or NBC. I have people I love deeply in my family in this church who are smart and they love God deeply and they're thoughtful and they're on both sides of the political aisle. So now let's take this bit about humility and ask what would be our plan to walk through these kinds of days? We have the same thing about masks or no masks. We have this, how, what's our plan? In 2016, my plan uh, that I felt pretty good about was I'm just not going to engage. If it's about politics, I'm leaving the room or I'm staying at the table for over an hour and you won't hear me say a word, which happened many, many times. That was my plan. And it honored God. It was humble. I was putting other people's uh, positions ahead of myself and all that. But this year, I wanted a different plan. So my plan is to engage deeply, encouraging people with a non-anxious presence and encouraging my friends and loved ones on both sides of the aisle. Now, this is not easy. Uh, some of you should go with plan A, not this one. Uh, to prepare for this, I did something that, again, many of you wouldn't be able to do. I watched every minute of both political conventions. Eight hours and ten hours. I didn't miss a minute. Because I wanted to be able to say to my friends and loved ones on that side, I watched it all. And you know what I did? That's eight nights of TV, which is a lot of TV for me. Eight nights of TV, and I began every night with my notepad, actually it was my iPad, and the question, what can I find good here? And now as I engage with people I love, people who love God deeply, 
I want to just engage and ask them good questions. Now, that's the non-anxious presence. Now, I don't know your call, your commission, your assignment. Some of you maybe need to take my 2016 plan and just go, I'm going to be silent as a way of being humble. Some of you maybe could take this plan. Some of you are actually called to work on one side or the other. Actually be a convincer or be a sign putter upper or be a mailer. Be a phone caller. That's okay. That's okay. You can actually love God on both sides, but, you, but you've got to do it the way we're talking about it. It's got to be done in love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. There's no question about that. No question. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's the way it has to be done. You have to put a towel over your hand, get on your knees, and wash feet. We have to do the same thing in our families. We have to do it about politics and masks. We have to do it about uh, uh, how much angst there is in our family members. We need to put a towel over. We need to forego our rights, which as parents, you do it every day, all day long. You forego your rights. And what you do is you serve and love and be with people. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the savior. He's the rescuer. He's the leader who walked out of the grave. He's the great unifier. Oneness is found in him. Neither Biden nor Trump is God. Jesus is God. He's the real source of authority. He's the one who holds the future. Let that sink in. Humility is a powerful, powerful tool. Jesus, with humility, changed the world. Jesus, with humility, changed your life. Jesus, with humility, changed my whole family. He didn't power up. He didn't get mad. He powered down. And he picked up a towel. And he did it with gentleness and kindness. Now here's what's beautiful. I was thinking about you. My friends at Orchard Hill Church and really my friends across the Cedar Valley. And what's beautiful is you're doing it. I have firemen friends and police friends and they're doing it. I have coaches and teachers who are making a difference in the lives of my grandkids right now. They're doing it. I see business owners and managers caring more about their employees than themselves. They're doing it. It's a beautiful thing. It's the mark of the church. It's who we're called to be. And doggone it, you can be a Democrat or a Republican and be a Christ follower. 
But we're all going to be marked by humility. This is the way the world's supposed to work. This is the way the kingdom of God comes here as it is in heaven. It's the right way and a good way to live. Let's pray. Uh, Dear God, we definitely need your help. We definitely need your power. We definitely need your plan. So right now in our hearts we ask, help us see your plan for how we're to do the assignments you've put in our life. Help us sense your power to live it out in the right way. Help us understand humility in uh, the way of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.